0: Welcome to Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in every context of Scripture for His exaltation in the Church and proclamation to the world. This podcast is a part of the Doctrinal Discipleship Ministry and a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of Christ in Context. We are continuing our mini-series discussing the Word of Faith movement and, um, This episode and the next episode that will be coming out next week are two parts of one really long interview that I had with Caleb Castro. Caleb Castro is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. He does a show with a good friend of his, Andrew Smith, and they do the Bobcast. Um, It's a really interesting and really niche uh, show, Um, but it's, I mean, if you are interested in learning more about Herman Bavinck, uh, check it out. It's a really good show. Um, But speaking of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, I guess I've just been lacking and um, haven't mentioned that we have some other um, new members to the society. So obviously our society still consists of Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrim, Sipping on Theology, and the Steady Anchor podcast. But we also have uh, new members, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, and Five Points Church Planting, and Seeker Start. Um, so if you haven't already, go check them out. They've got really good stuff coming out. Um Uh, I don't want to talk much longer um, besides really introducing the topic for um, what me and Caleb had already talked about. This is a pre-recorded interview. Um, We talked a lot about uh, his time at Bethel and specifically uh, the theology of Bethel Church. And the reason that we did that is because Bethel has been a very, very influential part of this specific aspect of the Word of Faith movement. They are very influential with this idea of naming and claiming healing, um, uh, this huge over-spirituality and overemphasized or over-realized eschatology, that we call it. Um, and so without any other uh, disclaimers other than, you know, I don't want this little series to be any type of bashing on people. Um, It's just to discuss the kind of gross and bad theology that's out there, specifically so that we can avoid it and um, continue to search Christ uh, and find Him in Scripture and realize that there are churches out there that are not Teaching the true Christ of Scripture. They are teaching a false Christ. And this church, along with many others who kind of follow in the footsteps of Bethel Church, are not teaching the true Christ. They are teaching a false Christ whose only purpose is to glorify yourself and uh, bring healing to yourself. And it's disgusting. And so, with all of that being said, I hope that you enjoy this interview. This is just the first. I think, hour of the interview. And then next week, there will be another 30 minutes or so of this interview. We probably would have kept talking, but um, we ran out of time. So I hope that you enjoy. I am joined here with a wonderful co-host guest guy. (laughs) His name is Caleb, and he is part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters as well. And he is also going to Mid-America Reform Seminary. So we got to connect in person about a month, a little over a month ago. And um, I'm so excited to have him on this miniseries because we have a pretty similar background in this type of uh, Word of Faith stuff. And so in a previous episode, um, I had kind of defined the Word of Faith movement as having different categories. Um, it's this big umbrella with, um, it can either be something kind of light and fluffy, like what Joel Osteen does just make you feel good. Um, or trying to really take advantage of your money, like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn or more spiritually manipulative, like, uh, Bill Johnson and Bethel and kind of other hyper charismatic movements. So, um, With that being said, we are going to be talking a little bit more in depth about the uh, Bethel stuff. I I don't know how else to explain it. We're going to get into uh, more of the deeper theology and, you know, what's the scriptural basis behind some of this um, and how do we refute it? How do we, um, you know, how do we understand what, where they're coming from and how do we like graciously talk with these kinds of people who are deceived and I don't want to perpetuate an idea that anyone who is a part of any of these churches is just inherently unsaved or inherently um, totally deceived and like demonic because um, I mean I think I got saved at one of these churches I think Caleb did as well so um, with that being said Caleb why don't you Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got saved, how you got involved with Bethel. And um, then after that, I kind of want to clear up some rumors about that some of us have probably heard. Maybe, well, I think I've heard some rumors that you haven't. So, uh, yeah, tell us about yourself.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me on, Kevin, from one fellow uh, host podcasting guy <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, definitely enjoy uh the, the networking through the Society of Reform podcasters and uh getting to expand uh, expand my theology and, and uh, understanding through you all as well. Uh for me, uh yeah, so uh I'm in my uh third of uh four years at Mid-America Reform Seminary uh in Dyer, Indiana. Um I am a Uh, My wife and I are a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, um, the continental Dutch tradition um, uh, of the Reformed Churches. Uh, Yeah, so my general background, um, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of weird. I grew up in, uh, I think you're aware of uh, the Vineyard Church movement.
0: Uh, Yeah, the church got saved in. Brought in a ton of people from the vineyard. We were kind of like the vineyard light. Vineyard <laughs> light, yeah. <laughs> so
1: Calvary Chapel ish, right? But then, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The vineyard churches. Uh, I don't know. My parents had like joined up in I think maybe 1980 or so, and uh, um, yeah. Throughout my my uh, my childhood, up until I was probably eight years old, I remember, uh, you know during church, seeing people, uh, eyes closed, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, my mom dancing around in, in, uh, in prophetic ecstasy. Uh, I remember banners waving and, uh, shofars, all that kind of stuff, you know, um, uh, people rolling around on the ground. Uh, Love and it. as I, uh, we, we ended up going to a Pentecostal church later when we moved, uh, and then to a non-denominational church. And by my late teens, um, we had this uh, worship minister, uh, worship director uh, who like told me about this really cool movement that was going on just, uh, you know, some two and a half hours north of where I grew up in Sacramento, California, uh, this uh, ministry called Jesus Culture. And you need to go up there to a Bethel writing, check out the cool things being done. Uh, you know, God is pouring out some amazing, uh, some amazing, amazing things there. So I went up there and uh, attended a conference and, uh, you know, just got totally into their music, uh, started commuting there frequently on the weekends to uh, Bethel Church Reading. And, uh, you know, just just getting acquainted with all the people up there, um, hanging out, going to uh, their church services and whatnot for probably about two, two and a half years, and um, yeah, just trying to or, you know, take taking friends up there, uh, introducing them to all that, and uh, you know, trying to get really involved in this, uh, this what they called um, this new thing that God was doing, this uh, this latter day rain that He was pouring out, um, uh, in in you know, bringing new manifestations of the spirit and all this. And and this was nothing really weird to me because it was exactly what I grew up with. It was just a whole nother level of, of, uh, spirituality. And I, I wanted to be part of it. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's, it's a different, um, a different emphasis of spirituality than kind of classical Pentecostalism, right? Like there's a, instead of just focusing on like speaking in tongues or like, uh, some type of ecstatic worship, they place their emphasis more on um, healing people and um, prophetic words. I think Uh, that's at least some of the stuff that I have had experience with. I don't know if you've noticed, like there's a shift of an emphasis.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's kind of hard to, in, in some ways it's complicated. In other ways it's super, super simple. Um, what I mean by that is like, like, yes, totally. We're, um, we're say with like Pentecostalism or even regular, uh, your, your average charismatic church, like say even a Calvary Chapel. Um, I mean, you still have a large emphasis on scripture, um, you know, on, on, on even exposition, expository preaching in, uh, Calvary Chapel churches. Um, and, For, you know, for Pentecostals, yeah, uh, one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is doing something, yeah, is, is, uh, is tongues, Mm -hmm. um, what it shared, what Bethel in most charismatic or hyper charismatic churches share in common is, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of like a level up, um, you know, you, you, you believe, but then the Holy Spirit pours something out on you and you get a new level of spirituality, um, This is when you're like, you know, you get more, this is what they mean by like more of the spirit. Uh, Well, for these groups, it's not just tongues. It's anything like you're saying, any kind of healing, any kind of revival, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's there. There's a lot that goes into it, but at the end of the day, um, it really just boils down to being a a word of faith movement. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, I came across this post by one of their, uh, one of their pastors there, Chris Volatin. Um, and he, he's like, was doing an advertisement for what they called the school of, uh, it was the school of supernatural health, um, that oh. they have an online course. And it's, this is, this is the description of it. And tell me if this sounds like word of faith, like prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. do you find yourself battling negative self-talk? Does it seem like anxiety and depression are a normal part of today's society? Do you ever feel like you're in a chaotic swirl? Is your sense of clarity lost in confusion? Join me online for the School of Spiritual Health to establish a clear foundation of knowledge about the spiritual realm. Learn to use discernment and shift atmospheres with our God-given authority. Let's go beyond the spiritual swirl and step into daily practices of silencing fears, changing thought patterns, walking in peace, and claiming the victory that's ours you were destined to win this war.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's this emphasis that like you can win. You can, you can, you can be anything. Uh, if you just have the right tools, if, if you put yourself in the right thinking, the right, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that's what makes any of these kinds of, uh, teachers or movements, like I said, Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn or uh, this Bethel movement, they all have their different varieties and different stripes of word of faith. But at, at the fundamental level, it's all um, about our own prosperity and not seeking God's own glory, um, whether we suffer or, yeah, you know. So, how did you end up getting out of this movement?
1: long story short let's see here um yeah long story short uh reading church history um scripture and church history uh historical theology yeah basically uh <laughs> and this is a fun story so the there's this this practice that they have there i can't remember if i brought it up to you when we met but um in person but uh, uh fire tunnels yeah did you guys ever practice this
0: uh, uh we did not i don't <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they do now. I mean, it's been a while. I do remember that I had, like, I, I remember visiting other campuses and sometimes I'd see people, like, I'd, I remember like a teenage girl, like running around the auditorium, just like full on sprinting. And I was I was kind of confused. And while that was going on, there was a guy off to the side painting and, you know, it's just normal. typical stuff, I guess. <laughs> And so I was like, okay,
2: you
0: know, but we never, <laughs> we never got into fire tunnels. Um, I had heard the lead pastor at my old church talk about fire tunnels from Bethel. And he had said like, you know, we're not going to do that. He made a joke that like, he was expecting it to be like, a like at the beginning of a football or basketball game where they hype everyone up and like, you go running down, like clapping. <laughs> that's he said he was expecting, but, oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you tell us about what fire tunnels are?
1: Yeah. Well, rather than uh, just getting the hype, uh, getting hyped up like a like a pep rally. um, Typically, the fire tunnels are something that will happen at Bethel at the end of the service um, after the message and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think just about every single time I went on a um, for a church service, um, whether it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, they have stuff like every day um, they always ended in these. And basically, uh, I don't know where they get the scriptural justification for it, but, um, the fire tunnel is where they'll have two lines of, uh, they'll form two parallel lines of people. Um, they're always, uh, people on their prayer staff or, uh, or people in their pastoral staff, um, including Bill Johnson and, and, uh, Chris Valentin. Uh, Bill's wife, Benny, and whatnot. So basically people that are more kind of, I guess, you know, have some kind of uh, authority or spiritual um, ability in prayer. So they'll make these two lines and everyone in the church uh, that wants to, meaning everyone that's there Mm -hmm. will uh, go and um, form a line and uh, yeah, line up single file basically to go and walk through this, uh, this, these two parallel lines, these, this, uh, they're forming a tunnel. They'll put their hands up in the air, um, uh, you know, to, to, uh, lay hands upon and mm-hmm. people will walk through and, uh, you know, dancing and whatnot. Um, and the people from the pastoral staff that make up the tunnel, you know, well, will uh, lay hands and say, you know, anoint, uh, you know, anointing of the spirit, receive the spirit more fire, whatever the, uh, you know, whatever they want to say, they, they want to impart the fire, uh, of, uh, you know, the baptism of fire Mm -hmm. upon the individual. And so you'll get people that are walking through this line, getting, you know, uh, slain in the spirit and, and will collapse. And so they have like team catchers that will come in and help grab someone and then help pull them through the rest of the line. Um, uh, you know, and, and the the name of the fire tunnel will change according to the message sometimes. Like if the sermon's uh, main theme was uh, say hope or joy, then it'll be a hope tunnel or a joy tunnel or whatnot. So I start here in uh, why I explain how it was that I got out because it, now I had gone through, I don't know how many fire tunnels right. since going to Bethel. Um, <laughs> but one oh, one day, uh, I think I I brought along my older brother. It was his first time there, and he was enjoying it. Well, I'm, I'm walking through the fire tunnel, and this guy, uh, he raises his index finger and he yells out, "Boom shakalaka!" Oh. And he jabs his index finger into my belly button and yells, "Boom shakalaka!" And at that, and he, he starts yelling, "Ha ha more fire, Lord more ha 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 boom shakalaka!" And jabs my belly button again. And at that moment, I realized um, the Holy Spirit brought clarity to my mind that this isn't prophecy. This isn't anointing. This is a weird dude shoving his finger into my belly button, yelling a 90s catchphrase. This is fake. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So
1: uh, I started, like, I started uh, searching the scriptures and uh, just trying to find, okay, where are they teaching this? Where are they teaching that? And then I would talk with people at Bethel. Um, I would talk with staff and whatnot. And I would ask them, you know, okay, here's this and this and this. I want to believe it. I, I I do believe it. But, you know, we always say we do everything by the Bible.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: Bible is our authority.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, where does it say this? And they could never answer. And they started sensing that I was doubting them. So they would say things like, you know, the typical... you'll usually find this in most charismatic churches. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm generalizing, but this is usually the response Mm -hmm. when you maybe doubt a, uh, something that the Holy spirit does. Don't quench the spirit. Yeah. Uh, touch not the Lord's anointed meaning. Don't, you know, question your authority. Um, you know, you're just putting God in a box. I mean, these are telltale signs. First of all, that you're dealing with cults also when they're saying, don't question the authority. Yeah. Uh, so from there, basically, um, now that that was the long part, I just started searching uh, the scriptures, testing them, and uh, test, testing these, these teachings of Bethel and the charismatics. And I started wondering, okay, well, where did Bethel come from? Where did the Toronto Airport revival come from? The, where did the charismatics come from, the Pentecostals? And I worked my way back throughout church history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting um, because that's, I'm starting to notice that's kind of a theme for people who get out of this hyper charismatic word of faith type of uh, thing is we, we all start studying church history. For me, I was just trying to, I was actually trying to embrace my roots of charismaticism, whatever, whatever that word is. And (laughs) I was, so I was starting to study a little bit about like Pentecostal history and where did that come from? And then um, trying to find other earlier church documents that kind of supported my case. And the more that I was studying it, the less I was finding. Uh, And it was kind of disappointing. And then from there I started just like you were saying, just searching scripture and really trying to understand is this, are they, are they interpreting scripture in the correct way? Are they actually understanding what the author of this book wanted it to mean? Um, And so, yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to think about that a little bit more. Like if that's a consistent theme throughout people who are leaving Mm -hmm. this movement, like just that they're, interested in church history and realize huh, this isn't really a historical thing. It mm-hmm. hasn't really ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, So before we get into like the really like nuts and bolts and like depths of the theology that is involved in this, I wanted to ask what are some of the rumors that you've heard about Bethel and can you confirm or deny whether they have happened? So like, mm-hmm. Um, one of the thing. Uh, well, to backtrack a little bit, one thing that I remember being taught is that we would get sympathy pains. So mm-hmm. like if I had a headache sometimes, and you couldn't really tell, you just kind of had to ask enough people until you've asked like everyone in the room to confirm this. So if I had a headache, that might mean, that someone else in the room had a headache or some issue with their head and I needed to pray for them. But it's entirely subjective to interpretation or how I'm feeling, whether I'm feeling extra extroverted and want to go ask every single person in the room or if I just want to go take some ibuprofen and move on, (laughs) you know. uh, (laughs) The normal response. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But what were like some things that you had been taught or, um, I guess, as I had said, like, what are some rumors that you've heard that you can confirm or deny? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing I mentioned before we got on here was the holy honey, which uh-huh. made me laugh a lot. Uh, <laughs> I had heard that there was a guy basically who had a huge, like 50 gallon tub and was just ladling out fake honey. Like there was nothing in the tub and he was just ladling it out and people would come and get it. And they were essentially quote unquote receiving the Holy spirit in doing this. Um, and this is just a sign of the lack of leadership in one area where they don't really care what people do as long as it's within the bounds of emphasizing the Holy spirit, I guess.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah. um, Yeah, where to begin on that? My goodness. Um, That's, yeah, that's a lot of uh, things that we, a lot of directions. Um,
0: So, for example, um, one thing that I get, I hear, um, like, shoved towards Bethel is that they are known for grave soaking. mm -hmm. um, Which is the idea that people, like, they go to graveyards and try to find, like, a really famous revivalist or something and try to claim their anointing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had heard of this or um, knew whether anyone at Bethel had participated in any of this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that, um, yeah, that, that is definitely the most uh, famous one. Um, there is a truth and non-truth to it where, uh, what I mean by that is I think when, whenever we hear rumors uh, uh these kind of things that happen at Bethel, uh, the question is, who's doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can easily go and find uh, statements online from uh, their, you know, their old main leader, uh, Bill Johnson. Uh, he's, he's retired as their pastor, though. He still hangs around as their kind of like apostolic authority.
0: Oh, I didn't and, know he retired.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He had a. He, he, he stepped down as uh, the senior pastor, but he's, he's still, you know, mm-hmm. in charge. Uh, his son was the main minister for a while, and his son just uh, stepped down um, just to do different things. Um, anyways, the... Uh, yeah, the... The grave-sucking... Um, if someone's not familiar with that, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, people started uh, teaching um, by people. I mean, just people going there. Um, I believe this teaching originated from within the congregation and not from Bill Johnson and and, uh, other teachers or staff members. Uh, This idea that you can, you know, go and seek out the grave of some prominent evangelical minister, revivalist, whatever. So think like maybe go visit the grave of CS Lewis or Charles Finney or um, you know, uh, Chuck Smith or someone mm-hmm. and you can lay on top of their grave or hold, embrace, hug their headstone or whatever. And you can soak up their spiritual anointing, uh, whatever God had given them. Uh, God will give you that same uh, anointing and ability as well. Uh, kind of by laying on of the man uh, a laying on of the mantle, um, you know, from Elijah to Elisha. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so yeah, this this was um promoted within the congregation. You'll find statements online from Bill Johnson and Chris Ballatin and others uh in leadership that will say that they did not teach this. They did not uh necessarily um, you know, tell people, hey, go out and uh start practicing it. Uh and yet they don't formally denounce it. Um in fact, you'll uh, you'll find pictures online of Bill Johnson and, uh, and his, especially his wife uh, Benny Johnson, um, of going and visiting graves, and uh, you can find pictures of her hugging
2: mm-hmm. uh, headstones. So mm-hmm.
1: I mean, so that that one, um, yeah, like I said, there's truth and non-truth to it. Uh, the very fact that they don't actually denounce it is um, is uh, telling. But the, the bigger thing is uh, that we have to realize is um, they go through uh, phases and fads. Um, mm-hmm. So you may not come across, uh, uh, you know, grave soaking, grave sucking as uh, something super common there. And so you come across someone from Bethel or who's been to Bethel. They're going to say, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. But that's because they moved on to something different. Um, like you said, there was this guy who all of a sudden is you know is passing out uh holy honey.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um one time when I was at a conference, uh someone was uh going around and laying hands and uh telling us to drink of the wine of the mountain and whatever that means. (laughs) And uh, you know, putting on um yeah, they lay hands and you uh you get hit with the Holy Spirit uh, as if you were drunk. Um, one fad is, uh, let's say, uh, I remember several years ago, people were looking to verify, uh, a prophecy by taking a quarter or another coin and putting it to a wall and pressing it up against it. And if the coin stuck for any amount of time, then the prophecy was verified. Um, what? yeah, it, th- like I said, fads, um, yeah. <laughs> Another one uh, that a couple of things that are going on right now just these past two, three weeks is uh, uh, <laughs> what I like to call the, these are just like the weirdest and dumbest things. Um, holy snoring, snoring in the spirit. Uh, there was a holy Holy Spirit salsa dancing. Um, there was uh, several months ago, probably the greatest one that I've ever seen.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: When all of the George Floyd uh, riots had started occurring, um, Mm -hmm. maybe you saw this one, but the, the staff at Bethel, uh, the the leadership gathered together and uh, they had a kind of a diversity of ethnicities um, grabbing onto this literal staff, like a wizard staff. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they were um, channeling the same kind of spirit as Gandalf, the wizard from Lord of the Rings. And they're all laying hands on the staff and yelling how racism shall be defeated in America. And then shouting, you shall not pass. Yes. The Gandalf quote, you shall not pass. And they all lift the staff and hit it on the (laughs) ground together.
0: It's amazing.
1: It's just that. Yeah. That that was the peak of uh, anything I've ever seen. Um, Just, yeah. Just this year. It's just, Wow. They go through fads and phases. Um
0: That's <laughs> crazy. Um one thing that I've also heard of, which I think is a probably a bit of an older um claim, and it I don't I presume it probably doesn't happen anymore, but it was this idea of like gold dust falling from the ceiling. I think they called it like heaven mm-hmm. heavenly dust or something. I don't remember exactly what yeah. it was called. Um was that going on while you were there? um that's constant
1: yeah uh okay. i've seen it the uh they call it the yeah the glory cloud or the kind glory uh it's it the same it's the same uh spirit that descended upon the mountain of sinai uh when i say same spirit i mean uh it is the manifestation of god's presence itself mm. um uh that which dwelled in the tabernacle Um so this is a verification to them um that everything they're doing is right and god is empowering them for further ministry yeah, I've seen the glory cloud. Um I've been around the uh people that say they've seen the angel feathers, so I've never seen the angel feathers falling from the sky. Some will say that um, there's been uh manifestations of uh rubies and jewels falling from the sky um and that people will will people will um you know see other people with their mouth full of gems. Uh they'll see their teeth turned to gold or was covered in the dust or cavities were suddenly filled with gold. Um, This is, this is common that's been going on since maybe at least the sixties, maybe earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not any different in that than most other charismatics, uh, or I should say at least hyper charismatics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's uh, I heard all that stuff in the vineyard. Um, There's yeah. The common practices uh, just to do a fast list. um, There is, being slain in the spirit, someone will touch you or the Holy spirit just touches you and you fall on the ground and you start writhing and contorting. Um, uh, you may even have a vision or something. Uh, I've had these happen to me. Um, I've uh, yeah, they're, they're soaking where you lay in the ground and uh, they'll even have the children do this. Um, they'll play some soft music, wrap the children in like silk drapes or other kind of like nice little things, light some, incense and candles or whatever. And, uh, the children will have ecstatic, um, uh, spiritual experiences like the adults. Um, there's animal roaring. Uh, you know, you're, you're struck with the Holy spirit so much that you start imitating an animal like the, uh, a lion, uh, a pig mm-hmm. grunting, a dog barking. Um, these are yeah, just normal manifestations for them. No, no demonic, Uh, no demonic thing happening there. Uh, I've, I've done the animal roaring. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've done, I've done probably half the practices in this and if not, I've seen my mom do them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, if it's not, I don't know if I've heard it specifically like accused against Bethel, but I know like against the vineyard, um, I had, and I had tried to kind of defend this because my church was a part of, the vineyard, as I had mentioned, um, or even if it wasn't a vineyard church, they were still very connected with people from, mm-hmm. the vineyard. um, the, mm-hmm. I believe it was the Toronto blessing with holy laughter and ho- like, yeah, barking like dogs and things like that. And so, mm-hmm. um, the way that I would defend it is by saying, you know, like, Oh, well, John Wimber still went out and rebuked that group and all that stuff. But even if that's the case, that doesn't make it, any more acceptable or Mm -hmm. uh, like it it still happened and like it could have still gone out and Mm continue to practice in other smaller settings. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyways, I want to continue moving on carrying the conversation along. One thing that I have um, heard about specifically Bethel, um, and this is, I think going to carry us on into some other um, areas of theology that I want to talk about is this, idea of dominionism Mm -hmm. or um i think you had called it the seven uh dominion theology or something like that yeah yeah. Uh, seven mountain mandate seven mountain mandate yes and so from what i've (laughs) what i've heard is that uh it's this idea that we basically need to (laughs) take over the world (laughs) um as (laughs) basically how, how i've heard it um it's yeah uh we need to take over there's seven (laughs) spheres that need to be um reclaimed so Mm -hmm. um, the way that bethel is predominantly doing this right now is through music um Mm -hmm. pumping out tons and tons and tons of music and trying to take over this music industry and um i think they've got people in areas of uh politics and uh trying to reclaim other areas like the uh, business world. So, why don't you kind of explain mm-hmm. a little bit more about what this theology is? Uh mm-hmm. I'm sure it's more than just taking over the world. <laughs> um but that I think, <laughs> kind of lead into this overemphasis on the kingdom of God and some mm-hmm. of their other um more I guess widely known mm-hmm. uh, areas of theology.
1: Yeah, um Well, a couple things first uh, on that. Uh, First of all, uh, I I think that's actually pretty, uh, I don't think that's necessarily overstated to say uh, it it is a concept of taking over the world. I mean, you find that embedded in the name itself, dominion, right? Dominionism. Uh, The question is who's taking over the world and how, Mm -hmm. Um, so we could, we could always say as Christians in general, uh, as reformed Christians, we can say, uh, yeah, Christianity is going to take over the world. Uh, God is going to be ta- God is already in control of it and God is going to make that manifest and visible to every eye um right with the consummation of all things
2: mm-hmm, so right.
1: we we can agree with some some things um we can agree with the language of there's different areas of society there's different spheres or institutions that we uh have to uh think of okay what is the relationship between
0: Christianity and uh culture
1: mm-hmm. um and I believe that's where they're generally drawing this from
0: yeah. It's, um, it's a good thing to make these cate- categorical mm-hmm. distinctions in order to best relate Christianity to different areas of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's another thing to what you do with them. Right. right. Um, right. Some people go the direction of, say, uh, theonomy. Right. Um, com- and others will uh, go a direction of, well, uh, entirely entirely taking over in, uh, redeeming the culture. Um, and you might find that in the areas of say the Christian reform church, uh, in what we call a Neo-Kyperianism. Um, but it's also the direction that Bethel has taken. Interestingly, mm-hmm. though, with certain different emphases, it's, it's kind of strange. Anyways, the whole idea, um, they, they'll call it the seven mountain mandate, the seven spheres of influence. Um, this is pretty much an offshoot of, uh, of the first of all the great commission um the great commission that you'll find uh in matthew 28 um which the lord uh, of course commissions us to uh you know go forward uh making disciples baptizing uh, baptizing in the name of uh the father and son the holy spirit right Mm -hmm. um doing a a paraphrase on that because we do baptize in the name of the trinity uh and as well as uh, looking then at that as the fulfillment of the cultural mandate in uh, given to uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, where uh, he's to go forward, um, you know, be fruitful and multiply, right? It's taming and subduing the earth. So this is grounded in a legitimate biblical position. Uh, what, what has happened, though, is um, they take this and they, they're asking, okay, how is uh what is the the, the ultimate goal here of uh, of God's kingdom? What is the ultimate goal of man? Well, it's to uh, make earth heavenly. It's to make earth under the domain of the heavenly influence. And so all the things that are um, stored up in heaven must be brought down here to earth. They must uh, heaven must be manifest on earth in the spirit. The spiritual things are what's real, and they must, uh, in ultimate, and they've been preserving, everlasting, and they must take over the uh, this present evil age. Well, um, this this idea is not necessarily original to uh, to Bethel or Bill Johnson, but um, Bill Johnson had written a book of about this in the early two thousands, and then a follow up book in the uh, twenty uh, mid to late twenty tens, I believe it was. Uh, the original book was um, when heaven invades the Earth and you'll find much of this concept in there. um that along with another book called the uh, book by I believe Hammond no no by Chris Ballatin, their their um, you know prophet at Bethel, uh, called the Supernatural Ways of Royalty. So here's what Dominion is Adam Adam by uh, being tempted, by the the devil, relinquished the keys of the kingdom of God to the devil. So everything the world was supposed to be, uh, all the authority of man was given to Satan. And it took Jesus Christ, the son of of David, uh, to literally uh, walk around as a man, emptying himself of his divinity um, for them, meaning he literally removed his divinity um, walked around as a man, uh, who was baptized by the spirit. So empowered by God to do the things of God, such as working miracles and showing everyone what the kingdom of God, uh, in other words, what the ultimate fulfillment of earth is to look like. When Jesus Christ died on the cross that enabled him to go down to hell, uh, and basically do the harrowing of hell, uh, in Roman Catholic theology to, uh, rip the keys of the kingdom from Satan's hand. And here's the thing. Uh, Christ doesn't keep those keys for himself. He gives those keys then to the people. And these are the keys of, of the kingdom that you would see in, um, uh, in uh, Matthew 18.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the keys of the kingdom uh, are the authority to bind and loose. Okay. And what we might, we take that as church discipline,
2: right?
1: right? Well, they take that as everything. Yep. So whatever is for the heavenly
2: mm-hmm.
1: can be, uh, whatever is for the eschatological age, the, thing, the, the age to come, the eternal age can be taken and loosened onto the earth in the fullness of its power. Whatever is not present on in, in heaven, such as uh, say, there's no cancer, there's no death. Mm-hmm. There's no demonic influence just that can it up, cast it? it. You just bind it up, cast it to yeah. hell. Yep. Exactly. You just bind it and cast it to hell. So uh, that can be bound on earth. Um, and the things of heaven can be loosened on earth. So that's what that means to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now you take this then. Uh, so all the things that are for the eschatological age, um, including the healing of death, the healing of uh, meaning resurrection, uh, sickness, everything can be, brought here. And this is, you, you, you know, some people may use the phrase of an overrealized eschatology, eschatology yeah, and that's, that's what that means.
0: Yeah. That's the phrase that I like to use.
1: Um, right. It's literally, it's so realized to the point where it's all for the now, nothing stored up for the later.
0: Right. Right. Um, and so what happens, um, what I've talked about when I was talking with my friend Elijah, um, is so, where, what I've noticed is in the um, Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six, um, they basically get two verses in and then just stop. They say um, our father who is in heaven, hallowed mm-hmm. your name, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then yeah. that's it. I, much. I remember seeing like huge, like uh, they'd take a whole wall and, it would be like covered in like chalkboard paint and they'd write in chalk all over it. Like <laughs> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's it or your kingdom your kingdom yeah. and all that stuff. And so um, how do like, I guess one question is how do they make that leap that it's uh, the kingdom of God should be, everything about the kingdom of God should be just drawn down. Like heaven should be earth basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do we respond to that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah to condense that uh, as best as possible here. So the whole issue is the fall. Um, you know, all of this that was meant for the heavenly was supposed to be in the garden uh, and, and consummated through uh, Adam uh, that was how everything should be with no influence of sin and evil. We, we could, we agree in some extent, but um, I mean, they are, they are making it, uh, you know, the perfect earth, uh, the, like the biggest thing mm-hmm. um, it's so, I mean, And if you notice how we're talking about this, there's very little uh, mention of Christ here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about the fulfillment of the destiny of man. And so this is why it's so emphasized of whatever God has given for the heavenly purposes is all on the earth and obtainable for us. Why? Because we are um, we, we are essentially uh, little gods. They, they don't they've never stated this concept that you may have heard from Kenneth Copeland and such, but mm-hmm. they have made uh, allusions to um, because we're made in the man is made in the image of God uh and especially for those who have the holy the holy spirit we live as ultimate humans um as a uh, supernatural princes and princesses of of the king mm-hmm. um so we are hereditarily not only just co-heirs but we are um i mean we we are co-kings and queens of uh of the earth mm-hmm. so i mean they're their emphasis is, I mean, honestly, as, as simple as possible. Not walking by faith, but by, uh, but by sight. Right. Everything is about the here and now and what is before us, and this includes all experiences of revelation, all verification of uh, of the Bible. Everything must be uh, tangible or tangibly experienced, uh, felt. Um, this is all to uh, to return whatever has been corrupted by Satan through the fall. And again, not, you know, it's not necessary by Adam, but by Satan, mm-hmm. um, whatever has been corrupted by Satan in the fall must be reclaimed, must be redeemed and renewed for the heavenly purposes. Um, and so this is why they will extend to every single sphere, um, which are, uh, there's seven of them. They'll call them education. Um, the family, the news, uh, media, Mm -hmm. uh, arts and entertainment, uh, businesses, uh, the government, including uh, the military branches, and then religion. Um, I believe that's seven. Yeah. So every single area, every single institution they can conceive of has to have some kind of Christianized spin on it. Um, We can get into that, what that actually looks like. There's some serious problems, but Basically, there has to be, in grabbing all these things, mm-hmm. there is a shifting of the uh, of the purposes into this, uh, the spiritual realities, the eschatological, and once these areas are reclaimed, Jesus Christ will return on the earth. Mm-hmm. So it's purely, in other words, uh, this all comes from the idea that we are basically co-redeemers and bringing out the redemption and triggering the consummation of all things.
0: Yeah, it's basically forcing jesus to return in a sense uh once we have achieved a certain point then we will get jesus to return um and it's Mm -hmm. it's, and i hope that's answered your question yeah yeah yeah. it's this over um i guess it's over playing man's responsibility because you know we Mm -hmm. obviously do emphasize that man is responsible you know we are totally responsible for all any sinful thing that we do mm-hmm. um, and also our uh, spiritual engagement with Christ. But at the same time, like you, you can only push that to a certain extent before you're just trying to force God to do whatever you mm-hmm. want him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in doing all of this, there is a lot of, um, you know, like we had said, there's a lot of binding and loosing. And of course that, is done in the name of Jesus. And so um, when we had talked in person a little bit, you had started to bring up this idea of name magic and kind of connected that with the overuse of praying in Jesus' name. So let's talk a little bit about what it, uh, how this movement uses Jesus' name in a incorrect manner and then mm-hmm. also um what it actually means to pray in jesus name as yeah christians
1: yeah so um first of all uh yeah so where i came across uh this what really what really opened my eyes to what was occurring uh with this was many years later um uh through the teachings of steve baugh at uh westminster uh, theological seminary in california mm-hmm. um Uh, we were working through uh, a class in gospel and acts and he um, he was talking about uh, acts 19 uh, the seven sons of Sceva passage. Um, And uh, I'm just going to briefly read it, read this for the listeners just to to be able to hear it um, to hear what's going on here. Uh, So acts 19, starting from verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded." We'll stop there. Um, (laughs) uh, But it's interesting, uh, further down this passage, there's then also the mentioning of uh, the gathering together uh, of those who practice magic arts and the burning of their magic books and their spells. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay, so this is a context of um, talking about witchcraft. Okay. Uh, and at the beginning, the verse had started with the legitimate uses of the spirit by Paul, an apostle. So it contrasts the extraordinary miracles that Paul does with then these things uh, <laughs> that we see here. This this line in um, verse 13, though, where they invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. This is something you'll hear very often, not only in um charismatic circles, but, uh, Roman Catholic, uh, circles, uh, you'll find it in, um, uh, Taoism. Uh, you'll find it in, uh, other, uh, other world religions. Uh, you'll find it in Hollywood. Um, you know, where if, if you've ever seen a horror movie, uh, or a possession movie or watch the exorcist, you'll have the priest yelling, you know, tell me your name, demon. What is your name? Hmm. Well, the reason they do that is because if you grab onto the actual name, you uh, you gain control of that spirit. Uh, names have power. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's something that they would say at Bethel all the time and in Christianity uh, or in charismaticism. There is power in the name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, amen. We believe that.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Jesus is a powerful name. Why? Well, well on their end, it's because it... Uh, scatters the darkness um, it, it, it destroys the demonic realms okay it uh, it liberates captives uh, to demons those that are under demonic influence uh, of oppression or even possession uh, sickness or even straight up being controlled by a demon um, so uh, in in our class on uh, with Steve Baugh, he had brought up the point very brief, briefly that um, this use from the sons of Sceva of invoking in the name of Jesus has its roots in, um, in paganism uh, of taking control by reciting the right name, almost a formula. And uh, you can find this um, in uh, Everett Ferguson backgrounds of um, New Testament Christianity and, um, I was recently reading another book on um, I believe it's called uh, magic in ancient Egypt. Uh, I came across it at this uh, bookstore nearby Um, in it. uh, That's aside from the point, but uh, I just came across it locally. I was reading it Um, in ancient Egypt. uh, You'll find that uh, Isis uh, who's the goddess of magic. um, Well, she's the goddess of magic because she knows the secret names of things. Okay, magic is essentially the power to manipulate.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so she's able to manipulate by get, uh, handling the right name, by calling something of its right name. Um, uh, in this same book, uh, you'll find uh, the stories of Seth and Horace, or Set, uh, Seto mm-hmm. and Horace. Um, Seth needs healing, uh, but he refuses to tell Horace his true name. Okay. So he he can't be healed unless uh, there's the use of the true name. Um, you know he uh, he he gives a bunch of other gods' names um, before he finally you know just gives up and uh, tells his name. Uh, his name is the evil day on which nothing can be conceived or born. Um, so what you see a, a occurring here in uh the sons of skiva is that they're trying to utilize jesus as uh first of all a name that manipulates the forces so this is in turn a manipulation of the name jesus christ trying to use it for our own purposes mm-hmm. um it's a good intention
2: mm-hmm. you
1: could say but ultimately it is uh it, it's actually using it in the manner of witchcraft um yeah, yeah trying to rebuke the things of the of the of the demonic, uh, and make them scattering as if just saying the name is, uh, you know, what fixes the whole world. Uh, they, they have a a warped
0: perspective on what Jesus name does or what it is. Right. Right. And, um, the way that we would understand the name of Jesus is that when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are, um, in a sense, um, like when Jesus commands us to you know pray in his name or in uh, matthew 18 like specifically when he tells us that um in the context of church discipline we will um bind and loose things in his name what he is uh communicating to his disciples is that they will do things as if he were there um but in a like as if yeah, I I don't know if you can help me explain Mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as if you were there with, you know, his understanding, they have a sense of his authority, but not in the way of, um, just, you know, you have a measured amount of authority, not all of the authority that you want to have. And you can't just do whatever you want with it. Right. The, um, well, even in this,
1: where you consider the uh, Lord's prayer, um, for one thing, uh, there's a reason where we, uh, why we we begin the our prayers uh, in address to the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, we speak of uh, of the Father in terms of uh, entire uh, acknowledging our entire deference to Him uh, who is Creator, uh, who makes and uh, uh, and providentially uh, sustains all things. Um, in every, who sovereignly brings all things to pass, uh, even manifestations or occurrences of the demonic or whatever. Um, but this is a, when we say our father in heaven, we are, uh, as uh, my Heidelberg Catechism would say, uh, Lord's Day 46, uh, it's a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our father. And if this is the case, the father in heaven hears. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and if our father in heaven hears, uh, he does not, uh, if if our own, if our own earthly fathers, uh, would not, uh, you know, give, uh, if our own earthly fathers would not give, uh, a, uh, a stone when we ask for bread. Mm -hmm. Um, I know this, that in, in, in Luke, we're talking about really the neighbor, but it ultimately it becomes it, it, we're talking about God the Father. Our earthly fathers would not, in giving us a gift, uh, give us a snake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How much more our Heavenly Father, who would hear us through Christ, His glorious only begotten Son, the Son of God, uh, how much would He not refuse to give us what we ask in faith? Well, in the same way, when we pray... Um, in Jesus' name, uh, we're recalling that uh, we have an advocate who is before the throne of the Father, who himself suffered all things, who himself knows the will of the Father, and who also, by his spirit, uh, knows the inward groanings and needs of our heart. Um, the things that, uh, that Christ brings before the throne of the Father are the heavenly things of uh, his eternal purposes— the things that uh, that uh, promote the gospel truth. Okay, mm-hmm. Christ, the name uh, or Jesus is Savior, right? The Anointed Savior, uh, and this is talking about uh, ultimately the soul, the spirit that must be renewed. This doesn't have to do with demons, mm-hmm. who themselves are under the control of God. Uh, they can't do anything apart from God and his authority, right? We, we, we think of uh, Satan having to go before the throne to torment Job. We, have, we think of the uh, spirits, the, the lying spirit that the Lord sends uh, down to confuse Ahab. Mm-hmm. Um, the demonic don't just run around on their own. Uh, everything is by the will of the Father. So when we say we pray in Jesus' name and then say amen...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We are saying in Christ's name, be, uh, truly, this shall be truly and surely what we have prayed. This shall be whatever we pray in Christ's name must be the heart of Christ and therefore the heart of the father by whom we know his will.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it's certain that we know God has heard our prayer and we can feel in our heart and desire the things um, the things of him when we know what it is the father wants. And we're told that in scripture. So mm-hmm. in other words, praying in the name of Christ comes down to everything, the whole counsel of God for our salvation. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with a manipulation of forcing out demons.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So it's um, like, I'll I'll go back to the example in um, Matthew 18 where Jesus is clearly, I think referring to other legal codes in the old Testament about there needing to be two or three people there for uh, a judgment to be made correctly. And so um, he's essentially saying that we need, we need to be well-versed in, first of all, like well-versed in, Scripture, And not just for the sake of knowing scripture, but for the sake of knowing God's true intent and um, what it would be to make a wise decision as God's people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's in doing that, that when we are making a wise decision based on God's character and um, what we know from the old covenant and bringing that into the new, like in that. Jesus will be there with us as we are making these disciplinary decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, that's about as much time as we have for this interview for this week. Uh, Make sure you tune in next week for the last part of this interview. It's really, really interesting stuff. We're specifically talking about continuationism and cessationism and, you know, what's the reform view? Is there a reason why the Word of Faith people maybe take it too far in their understanding of continuationism. Um, It's only about 30 more minutes of our interview. So if you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a share. Um, Tell a friend about it. Um, That's the best way to help this podcast continue to grow. Um, So until next time, read your Bible, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen, and subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at ChristinContextPod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. If you have a question that you would like to hear answered on the show, reach out on social media or email us at ChristinContextPod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Doctrinal Discipleship. For other edifying material, check out reformpodcasts.com and Doctrinal Discipleship, either on Facebook or doctrinaldiscipleship.com.